examine all those places where spirit meets life and the joys and challenges that may bring. Now you guys know I like to start by thanking Ms. Beverly Black and Tribe Family Channel for helping me create this space for us. Tribe Family Channel is home to an assortment of thought-provoking shows that explore life, spirit, business, and culture, including The Woman at the Well, hosted by Ms. Beverly Black herself. Somewhere in the Middle was born on Tribe Family Channel, and though we've grown onto our own platform, we are ever grateful and loyal to our roots. To paraphrase an African proverb, we are here only because we stand on the shoulders of those who came before us. I want to say thank you to my guests on the October 25th show, poet and photographer Tammy Hobson, a.k.a. Sefa Noir. You can find Sefa Noir's books on Amazon. If you missed that show, please make sure you listen to the replay. You can find our complete show archives, including the October 25th show, at the Somewhere in the Middle podcast.com. I also want to shout out Bruce George of the Genius is Common movement, which encourages all of us to embrace our inner genius and share it with the world. It is so important that we share this message with the youth. But remember, guys, it's not just for the kids. We adults sometimes need to be reminded that the world needs our genius. Learn more about the Genius is Common movement at www.geniusiscommon.com. Now, I am super pleased to introduce this week's guest. Sherry Hill is the proud mother of the late Marquise Hill, who played as number 94 at LSU and number 91 for the New England Patriots. Ms. Hill is a 1979 graduate of Alabama A&M University, where she earned a Bachelor of Science degree and pledged Alpha Kappa Alpha. She has 10 years of experience in the public school system and 16 years of experience with the federal government. Ms. Hill's proudest achievement is helping steer young people in the right direction while working as a juvenile counselor with the New Orleans Police Department, NOPD. Ms. Hill has a passion to help the youth and the needy. Sherry Hill's first book, The Marquise Hill Story, From the Cradle to the Bowl, is five-star rated on Amazon. Hill shares the story of a little boy growing up in a cutthroat environment in South Louisiana from the perspective of a grieving mother who gave her all to guide and support her son while rearing him on her own. Sherry Hill started writing the book three days before Marquise died. She wanted it to serve as a tool to communicate the value of spending quality time with one's children to guide them on the right path and help them find themselves. After her son's untimely death, it also became a focal point to move through grief and into purpose. 
So I'd like to welcome Sherry Hill to Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. Sherry, thank you so much for being on the show. You're welcome, and thank you for having me. Well, I'm really excited to have you because you have an interesting story, and I really love to kind of get into that with you. And I'd like to start my interviews with two questions that I really think lead us right into what it is, what it is that you do. And so if you're all set, I'll go ahead and ask you those two questions. Okay. Okay. So Sherry Hill, who are you and how did you become who you are today? I am the mother of the late Marquise Hill, former NFL player of the New England Patriots, where he was at the present of his time of his death. He was a pepper going into his fourth year of season with the Patriots, New England Patriots, Tom Brady and the crew. And they had just won the Super Bowl before this all happened. And he's my he was my only son. And it was a tragic accident on Lake Puncher Train in New Orleans. And um, I started writing a book three days before the accident. He and I had talked about writing the story on his life because of all the hurdles that we went through together as mother and son. And ironically, I just so happened started outlining the book, the title, and all just before his accident. And I asked him to come look at what I was doing, but we was in the middle of trying to recuperate from the Katrina. I am a former teacher, former federal employee. I'm a graduate of Alabama A&M in Huntsville, Alabama. I graduated in 79. My son was born in 82, so that was like three years out of college. And me having a, a son out of wedlock was not in my plans. <laughs> but things happen and you move forward. So that's I am. <laughs> mm-hmm. Wow. And so you you mentioned um, there were a lot of challenges for you guys. Can you give us some examples of what kinds of challenges you experienced? Oh, first of all, uh, I was a victim of a broken home. You know, you're having to, you know, the shelter by your parents and then all of a sudden everything, all your walls and you know, covering uh, what you call shelter from your parents, all that falls out at one time and you don't have nobody but you. My mom and daddy suffered a severe uh, divorce and then plus a house burn at the same time. Oh, wow. I wasn't really used to that because it's kind of like my support system had just dropped off the face of the earth. And back in the 70s, you know, we black families, we didn't have counseling everything back then was just survivor. And um, and it was really my brothers, I had four brothers under me and we all suffered a lot because we didn't understand why we was just going through this turmoil. I was in the middle of coming out of high school. My prom wasn't even great, you know, because we were dislocated trying to get housed and we became homeless in one day as well. Basically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had uh, met my son's father right at the time, I'd say about maybe six months or maybe not quite a year after all that happened. And he and I had experienced a lot of things. We had a lot of things in common. He was living in New Orleans at the time because he had transitioned from New York where my grandparents lived. 
Okay. Had a lot of things in common. We kind of suffered some of the same stuff. So he was telling me about the opportunities here. So my mom has friends that live here. So I moved here, you know, hoping that I could get away from all that. Mm -hmm. And when I got over here, he was about game. And I'm thinking he was about friendship, you know, and we trying to move forward. Mm -hmm. He knew my tragedy and he had tragedies. I figured we could be you know, kind of work things out. And I told him from the beginning, you know, about playing games, I don't have time for games because I really want to go to school and finish my master's, you know, because I just vaguely just made it out of college. And I had been out about three years, but when you don't have funds and your parents one way and this way and going through courts and, you know, trying to get in a house that was there and, you know, it was just whole turmoil. Make a long story short, moving forward. So I got over here and and he just full of stories and lies. I didn't come to stay with him. I stayed with friends and family because I transitioned my part-time job from Alabama to here. Mm -hmm. I came here with a plan, you know, thinking that he would just, you know, support me and maybe move forward. So he came over here with tricks and lies. So, of course, that didn't work out. So when I mentioned to him I might be pregnant, he said, well, you just, I don't want to be a father. So, you know. You know, the option was abortion, so I just moved away and, you know, got away from him and moved forward. So that's how things happened for me, and, and the rest was history, and I basically put it all in the book. Like I said, at the time of my son's accident, I just had just outlined it, you know, because he told me we had had a long talk that week because we, we had bought me a house so if you ever heard of Lake Forest Estate, yep. he had bought me an 8,000 feet house. So that, you know, was underwater, but we hadn't moved in there. We were just beginning to renovate because the house that he bought me, it had been foreclosed. Mm -hmm. It's one of the million dollar homes that, you know, you get at foreclosure. Right. And he bought it and he was just going, he was just going to redo it. And then here come Katrina. I was already in a house that I purchased myself. Mm -hmm. It wasn't too far from that section mm -hmm. and i was right there off on chef highway i don't know if you ever heard of nottingham Lake. Yes. yeah i was right over in that area mm -hmm. so i we got through that and you know that's what happened and we went from there he was arrested in the 12th grade with 100 scholarship offers what until jail in met i know you heard of Chalmette. yeah <laughs> i have a baby and I hired an attorney. The attorney was working with the courts, took my money. I'm already sacrificing because I'm trying to keep my baby out of jail, you know, mm -hmm. attacked, racially attacked, coming out, getting off the school bus. <laughs> and um, so I just had to deal with that. And then other stuff he admitted to me from his school, elementary school. So I have all that in the book. Then after his death, I had to deal with the, the dirtiness of the business. Um, after his death, my uh, my grandson's mom and and my, his agent they uh, they was at the courthouse. I was at the funeral home, so you know where we went there. Right. So I had to deal with that. Uh, like I told both of them, I said even though my son didn't have a will, so that was the mistake. But at the time of the Katrina, that's when my grandson was born. Mm-hmm. You know what happened with Katrina. Everybody in the world was upside down. Nobody, exactly. 
did all this disaster. We came back, seemed like we came back to a third world. Mm-hmm. We were just going through that. So I, we was telling my son after that child was born, said, Mark, Marquise, you need to get a will. You know, children don't listen. They go on. They think it's they just not, nothing going to happen to them. So mm-hmm. boom, there you go. <laughs> you know, just and they were he and he and my grandson's mom wasn't even together at the time of his death, so they created a big stage. It was like Lord, people do all kind of stuff, <laughs> you know. Yeah, on the money, so that wasn't really good. That didn't go well. It hurt me so bad because I lost my only child, and then I got to deal with people trying to take everything from me, and I worked so hard. You know, not that materialistic things mean anything, but, you know, it's just the fact that you're just going to come in and just take whatever, you know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I had seven calls. They took them all. Anything was in his name. I didn't have no right to. So you can imagine how that turned out. So it wasn't. Wow. But, I mean, you know, I, like I tell people, I, I passed the test. And now I have a testimony. <laughs> yeah. And most of the time when people read my book, it was so strange the first time a lady an older white lady she read my book and she saw me in the store and when she saw me she started crying walking to me i'm like she scared me to death <laughs> on your neck i said she said because your book just touched my heart i was she made me start crying you know Aww. so she said i'm just why i just feel so sorry that was about two or three weeks ago when she read that book but when she started saw me she started crying you know my tears in there like that, you know what I mean? It's not funny, but you know, I, she frightened me because she started crying when she walked toward me. I thought I had done something before. <laughs> I said, "Boy, that was a strange experience," but all, uh, but God is good. I mean, I mean, it was things were happening so bad. I was like, "Well, Michelle," I was like, "Did I know I didn't throw a brick in the church, Lord?" What did I-? <laughs> you mean? I mean, it was like domino effect. Right. I'm like, it was one thing. I was dealing with this on my job, that on there. My child get arrested. I get a lawyer. They take my money. I mean, where do, where do you go? Where do you end? You know. So. Well, I want to slow. I want to slow you down because you've you've talked about a lot of different things going <laughs> on, and I'm kind of interested. So, I'm kind of interested in the thing about him getting arrested in Chalmette because anybody who's from New Orleans knows. Mm-hmm. That there can be issues going out to Chalmette right? If you're black, that's just yep. that's, that's it's it. been that way as long as I was growing yeah. up and living there. Mm-hmm. In fact, I distinctly remember my grandmother being very upset with me mm-hmm. because I went off to college in Atlanta and uh, decided I was going to drive back to New Orleans to visit. And mm-hmm. I got to her house. She said, "You came by yourself." You know you can't just go everywhere. You know there's certain places you can't be. Right. <laughs> and I'm like, um, okay, because I didn't perceive it that way. But there are issues, you know, even even in the city, there are issues in certain mm-hmm. um, parts mm-hmm. of town. So what did they say happened? Talk, talk to me about what they said happened. Well, I worked out there at Miss You. You know what Miss You is? Yes, ma'am. In the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Mm-hmm. I got a call. My son told me they had a trite meet. So De La Salle is where my son attended. Mm-hmm. And they, the school had brought him over there. As soon as they got off the bus, here goes some white guy, all you niggas, to go back where you come from. Oh, wow. I 
son said, he ain't never experienced nothing like that. So he was like shocked. He said, man, we're not even over here for that. We over here for a trike meet and running, you know, et cetera. He ignored him. Mm-hmm. I said, mama, I just told him, look, we're not over here for that. We're not going to start no commotion. And he walked away. He turned his back and walked away. And so because he couldn't, my son didn't entertain that. Mm-hmm. He, taught, he turned around and hit my son in the head. My oh, wow. son almost 300 pounds. Mm-hmm. And my son hit him and knocked him almost um, like a half a feet, two, two or three feet across. And the team blood went everywhere. Mm. My brain stopped functioning. <laughs> so, Lord Jesus, so I got a call from the coach. He said, Miss Hill, you got to come over here. They've been detained, Marquise. Oh, Lord, you know, my mind went to run like, what happened? Lord, if he got in a fight, he done hurt somebody, you know? Mm-hmm. Right. I beg him not to fight nobody because he's bigger than all the kids. Don't fight anybody. What happened? This guy was a football player. Mm-hmm. Just, my son had already told me he was bothering him at every game they'd be at. So it was, a, you know, something that's been going running. It's brewing, in other words, my mom used to say. Right. And um, so when I got over there, it was a gentleman out there. He said, ma'am, he said, your son didn't start that. That was that guy's fault. You know, because I'm trying, I don't, I don't like to hear one side. It's three sides. I learned it's three sides to every yep. side. Your side, they side, and the truth. Mm-hmm. And so when I got there, and then he was in juvenile, because he was 17, but he was the size of a man. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, I had this bond, whatever you call it. You know how you sign him out, bond him out. You know, the juvenile detainee, he got handcuffs put on his hand, which I've been, you know, praying that he never get that on his hand, you know. Right. So when I got over there, um, you know, the guy told me, he said, ma'am, get you a good lawyer because they was wrong. I mean, the daddy came with all your niggas going to jail. Now, he was a he was in office. Now, you can imagine where I was at. So right. I decided to hire this uh, black attorney. I, I want to say something else, but <laughs> I'm trying to be on, we on uh, radio. So <laughs> took my money and lied to me. And girl, when I got in the courtroom, now we talking about my son was 17, read it to 12th grade. Uh-huh. Well, we, you know, they waited till he turned 18 to go to court. So they could try him as an adult? Yeah, and I didn't have no control. Wow. I said, where did I go wrong? <laughs> Ask me, tell me. And then the lawyer got in there, turned the knife on me and turned it in my, looked like he stuck the knife in my throat and turned it and said, well, you ain't got no control. Let me ask your son. We want him to take a plea. So that was it. Wow. You know what? I lost it in the courtroom. Yeah, almost. I told my son not to listen to him. We don't take no plea. He said, Mama, I don't want to lose my scholarship. These people will do what they want to do. Because they said if he take a plea, uh, they would uh, they, he would get a felony charge. That's the threat. So they found out my son didn't use an object. And they found out he was the one racially attacked. My son's civil rights were violated. He was detained, but he was the one attacked. Right. You understand? So. Yeah. They needed a plea from him because if they didn't, it would have been, I had, I, I knew what was going on, but because they did that to me and my son, I didn't want him to think I was trying to mess up his football. You know what I mean? Right, right. So hard. So they kind of had me between a rock and a hard place. So I said, Marquise, well, you do what you want to do. I mean, how you want to do it, but I'm begging you not to listen to him. We just, I just fired him right here. That's the way I told him. But, you know, like I say, he just want to get it over with. Yeah. Dragging a whole year. 
Well, and that's what they do. That's really what yeah. the system does is it, it takes right. advantage. It wears you down. Oh, man, you talking about wear you down, child. I left from my office, <laughs> from my dad when I got back, and that next day when I went, when the, really the smoke cleared, <laughs> we got it caught. I, I left Miss You, and I drove down on Broad Street, Tulane and Broad, in about 15 minutes. Now, you know how far I was going. Right. <laughs> and I told the secretary to clear the office, because me and this lawyer about to have it. I told him if he don't, get something changed with this, what he pulled in that courtroom, I was about to withdraw my son from the school. That's exactly what I have in the book. I, that's what I was getting ready to do. I was right. meeting that Sunday, that Monday. I was so mad. <laughs> you know. Wow. So it was horrible. And then after all that, now guess who got sued? Really? Oh, yeah. And that's a, that's a known process for black males that make it in the pros. It sets that up. I found that out. So that's a norm. <laughs> I really? want to know. That. Oh, yeah. I'm telling you, uh, baby, I went to hell and back. I just had a gasoline jacket on. God just didn't let me burn. <laughs> wow. So let me ask you that. So you've talked with other um, sports moms and found that this is very common? It's either a barroom or something else. You know, if you notice, I don't know if you heard, but you heard about black guys getting in fights and stuff right. that be set up, you say. So when you hit somebody and you dare you sue, then you got money because you're going to begin the pros. You know, right. it's a mess. It's, and do you think yeah. they're particularly targeting the black athletes? Yes, I think so. I think it have a lot to do with that. I mean, this guy kept picking on my son. My son kept telling him he'd been avoiding him. And he told him, you know, man, I'm not up to all that. I'm not trying to get in no, because he know he had a clean record. My son had a scholarship office coming out of high school. Mm -hmm. He had anywhere he could have went anywhere he wanted to go. And he wasn't trying to get in no trouble. And these this guy just all of a sudden just hit him. Yes, we said, Mama, that Martin Luther King stuff don't work. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Marquis, why you just didn't? He said, Mama, I tried. I tried. It just didn't work. <laughs> well, I'm curious too, and um, I know this is an old issue in a way, but he was at De La Salle. Correct. I would ask, <laughs> based on my familiarity with, the, with a lot of the um, Catholic schools in New Orleans back then, did none of his teammates stick up for him? Yeah, well, they, was, they told him that he didn't, my, nephew, my son didn't start it. That didn't matter. And the school didn't take responsibility of his protection. They took him over there. I was upset with them. And the legal issue, they didn't get involved with that. Matter of fact, my son got a spin, suspended. <laughs> Your son got suspended at De La Salle. Yes, he was suspended because of that. I was upset about that. Yeah, well, I see, that's what's all in the book. This right. No secret. It's all right. in the book, you know. Yeah, that's just amazing. I'm telling you, that I, mean, I was. You think I wasn't hurt? I told, yeah. I told the uh, coach, and I said, you know, they wasn't. They was like he, you know, he started a fight. <laughs> I said, well, it didn't happen that way. I I had told him. Um, one of the parents went and talked to the coach, and they said, you know, because he was helping me, he went over there and told. Him. He said that wasn't right, but you know, because they didn't want other children to get involved, he was in a fight, and that wasn't good, so he had to take the suspension. So I said, Mama, I just came on home. I said, but I didn't want trying to start nothing. That was that guy, you know. Mm -hmm. So what do you think 
would have been outcome at maybe a different school. I'm just curious if you have any thoughts on that at maybe a different school. What you mean? Well, it wasn't the school. It's just the fact they was going to a track meet. They took him over there. They that that team. What is Shalmet High was a one of the scheduled teams that they play and trade. You know, different dates of football and and track meet and basketball. Okay. Took him over there, but like I said, it wasn't like my son was over there browsing around. They took him on the school bus. Right. But well, I mean, it's just that guy was just, he was just a target, probably looking for money. You know, that's, mm-hmm. so I think, I think they had, he was just jealous because my, he didn't get any scholarships. Okay. But, but they I mean, played. His father it. was in, his father was in the office. He was like, had a position, like elected official. Oh, in Chalmette? Yeah. Oh, okay. He was over there calling, talking about you niggas going to jail. See, he thought my son was a man that jumped on his son. And oh. my son was a student just like his son. You know? Right. And they didn't know that his son, the one that, you know, the other, they didn't know he the one started the fight. Mm-hmm. But my son had told him what happened. We told the lawyer what happened. But instead, he wanted to work at, I guess he wanted to do them a favor. Right. But my son's, you know, uh, you know, his clear record. My son never been arrested, you know, until that. So what do you think is the, the reason that attorneys, because I've seen this um, myself, where attorneys actually are not always acting in the interest of their clients. What do you think is the motivation behind that? Well... A friend of mine, my coworker, he told me about this attorney and what I should have done is done my homework. But, you know, I wasn't expecting this. This is a last minute thing. Mm-hmm. Really, I didn't have three or $4,000 to give a real, you know, a big time attorney. Right. I wish I had, but this guy was reasonable. He was working with me, but I think he really couldn't really practice. He was, uh, what you call it? What you call it? Suspended. Oh, when they're just barred? Yeah, I don't know if he was. I think he had a problem with, you know, the whatever you call it, the bar. Uh-huh. For him to do that, he was practicing. Now, he had an office. I went to his office. But I don't know if he had issues. He just wasn't a good attorney, and I just should have researched more. And they have a tendency to do favors because they need favors for some of their cases. So if I do you a favor, then when I come through, you do me a favor. See, that's the way they work. They all, like my brother said, they all drink coffee together. They drink and coffee buddies. Right. You know, blacks don't get due process. And 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 I everybody that Dale and Ruth that went in there and killed the people supposedly went and killed those people in Carolina. Mm-hmm. Due process and he killed nine people, nine bodies. Right. But you know, a black person don't have it. It's like the law says you're guilty or you're innocent until proven guilty. That's not so for some blacks. You're guilty until proven guilty. That's the way that go. Right. You know, that's my thought in, on that. <laughs> well, and I, I think I tend to agree with you also because of, you know, just some some experience I've had with a, a, a friend of mine mm-hmm. where it seems that it's not even, it's like the system is, is it, sure. purposely, it purposely moves very slowly. And you know, yeah. And on top of that, it's as though even the documents that they themselves write, you know, the legal people themselves write, don't matter when it comes to (coughs) 
you know, you know, you're sitting here reading the document saying, but it says in black and white right here, this, 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 mm-hmm. and this. And they're like, right. oh, no, that doesn't matter. Well, why do we have a document then if it doesn't matter? You know what I mean? Right. Mm-hmm. How is that? And it makes you wonder, how is that even legal? And you're right. That's what I'm saying. It's not. It's not fair. The system is not fair. It's, it's a miscarriage of justice in the system for diverse people. If you of not of the right race, you in trouble. You don't have the right money, you in trouble. Don't get caught up in the system because you're not gonna get a fair or nothing. It's not gonna be fair. You know, that's what I tell people. Well, and I I can say something very unpopular right now, but you know, when OJ got off for murder, right. people were so upset, right? Oh girl, was it <laughs> night? But I just kept going. Well, I don't know if it really matters because it's one OJ versus hundreds of thousands, even millions of black men and women That's who right. have been convicted of stuff that they may not have even done. There are too many cases where mm-hmm. cases are being overturned even to this day because of DNA evidence or because they said that, you know, evidence was fabricated, things of that nature. Right. So we get we got OJ. <laughs> <laughs> right, but, you're right. All these other people, you know what I mean? And so it's, it's, it just does, it's not equitable. True. And it's like nobody seems to take seriously, I, I think it was ben, Benjamin Franklin who's, who may have said this about uh, it's better to let one guilty person go free or 100 guilty people go free than to have one innocent person. Correct. And you're think, right. Something like that. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't seem to be the prevailing uh, thought anymore. I appreciate you sharing about that because I do think it's something that we need to think about. And fortunately, we've been seeing a lot of activism on the in the area of uh, criminal justice reform and and uh, getting people's voting rights back and things like that. Well, mm-hmm. how can people get um, the Marquis Hill story? From the cradle to the bowl. I am on Facebook. Um, if you email a Facebook, message me, contact me. I have copies that I keep copies. I sign them when you buy from me, but it's on Amazon. If you Google the mother Marquise Hill, you could find it. Or, or either Google Marquise Hill and you'll be able to find it. You know, and you can email me, hill.sherry9469 at gmail. Or you text me because because I don't know nobody's number. I prefer them to text me and say, "Look, I want to purchase a book," and then okay. I, they are, and then I could call them or text them back and let them know what to mail or if they have uh, what's they call it, uh, where you PayPal and all that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and I put it in the mail the next day. Okay, great. Mm-hmm. So, are are you going to have on your website? Do you have a website where people can see where you're going to be for live events? Well, I tell you, I'm I'm a member of the Professional Football Players Mothers Association. They call it PIFMA. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like I say, I just been more or less promoting myself. But I don't have a website. I just use Facebook. Okay. Site, you know, and I'm on Link. You go to Link, and I have a website for my book on Facebook, and I have my Facebook. You get the information. And like I said, once you Google the mother of Marquise Hill, everything come up. The articles where I was interviewed by New York Times, you know, all the other articles, everything come up. And my book falls under my son's name. It's for the reading. 
Okay. You Google from the cradle to the bowl, the Marquis Hill story. I think if you do that, it'll come up straight up and let you order it right then. It's on eBooks. You can read it if you don't want to get the physical book, which is cheaper. And, you know, if you want the physical book, signed copy, you can just, like I say, email or call me, 504-228-3104. Like I said, text me because I don't know nobody's number, so I prefer them to text me before they call and just say, look, I want to buy a book or tell me where I can get the book, et cetera, and I'll go that route because it seemed to be easier that way, you know, with all this technology we got now. Right, right, definitely. Well, Sherry Hill, thank you so much for being on Somewhere in the Middle with Michelle Berard. I really appreciate you sharing your story with us. Okay, and I sure appreciate you having me. So next up, our good friend Julia Black will be joining me for True Talk. I know building a website can be intimidating, but you need a place where your audience can connect with you. Instead of fighting with technology, try the easiest, most flexible website builder available. With templates for all types of websites, ranging from landing pages to e-commerce, Urban Book Editor's platform makes creating an author website quick and easy. Just add a section, upload your photos and videos, type your text, and you're in business. It couldn't be easier. And if you sign up for an annual plan, you can get 10% off the first year. Just use discount code FIRSTYEAR. That's one S-T-Y-E-A-R, the number one, S-T-Y-E-A-R, in all caps. Take advantage of the 14-day free trial. No credit card is needed. Visit urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website from the menu bar at the top of the page. No more struggling with technology. No more paying a small fortune to developers. Create beautiful websites without learning to code. Spend more time writing and less time worrying about your website. Just go to urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website. You'll see how easy it is to build a great website to showcase your work. Go to urbanbookeditor.com and select Create Your Author Website today. And we are back with Julia Black and our segment called True Talk. Hey, Julia. Hey, Michelle. So you and I were talking, you know, we have all these wonderful chats offline and we were talking about different ways that we deal with really intense emotion from, well, frankly, things that have happened, right? Something, Mm -hmm. you know, really, I hate to, use the word traumatic because I think it's overused now, but you know, something that's really just, just devastated us ways that um, we can work through these things or cope with them. And we've talked about things like writing, for example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think about these different ways that we can, kind of deal with our emotions that, you know, when, when really challenging things happen? Well, for me, um, in general, I have a tendency to feel things pretty deeply to the point where it can become pretty all consuming if I let it. 
Um, so, um, I've kind of come up with my own ways of, of, of handling all of that, um, so that I'm not just completely obsessed with the feeling and spinning in my head and turning into anxiety and making myself sick. Um, so part of that for me is acknowledging the feeling first of all, and then giving myself time to kind of feel it and experience it. Um, but so that I don't turn it into, um, you know, kind of a pretty severely depressive episode where I'm in bed and I don't want to do anything. I generally, um, do something active. Um, so, you know, I am, I'm, I'm a writer and we've talked before. I love journaling. So for me, I'll do journaling. Um, in the past, I actually, um, I have done creative creative writing, um, whether it's a short story or a poem or, um, or a novel. Um, I've also done, you know, things that are a little bit more, um, creative, like artistic in nature, kind of that don't have any words. Cause sometimes emotion, sometimes there are for me anyway, um, there are some emotions that I can't necessarily express into words or that I don't have a word for. Um, so I'll, you know, paint something or I'll draw something or I'll, um, you know, e even just do something that is, you know, doesn't seem super creative at all, right? I'll do a puzzle, <laughs> you know, right. I'll pull, you know, something that just gets, that just gets me out of my head for a minute so that I can just kind of feel things and not have to like, um, and that will not have to like overthink it and just be able to feel it and process it and, and let it go. Well, and it sounds like, you know, there are, there are other things that have that same quality as like putting a puzzle together, for example, you know, for, for those of us who are not artistically inclined, <laughs> um, you know, maybe things like, like, I don't know, making stuff, you know, yeah. like making a pot or doing woodworking or. Yeah. Cause I'm not, I actually like, I'm kind of proud of the fact that I am not really artistic. Um, I can't draw <laughs> at all. Like if you see any kind of thing that I've painted, it's just kind of squigglies. Um, <laughs> like I just, I can't, my, my drawing is stick figures. Um, but there are other things that you can do, right? So like my husband is, um, we've talked about this before. He's a car guy. Um, he has built cars. He's been building remote control cars since he was in junior high. This is kind of what he does. So for him, when he gets super in his head or he gets really stressed out or he's trying to deal with something, he's just got all these kind of parts in, in the garage and he just starts building. He just starts building a car. Wow. Um, he's, you know, he could do, but he's also done woodworking. Um, he does actually work on regular size cars. He works in the off-roading industry. So every once in a while, there's an actual car in the garage that he can wire. <laughs> um, and for him, that actually is very meditative because he's taking something that is the chaos of like 20 different wires and all of this stuff and creating order out of it. And that, helps him deal with whatever he's working through. 
and like that's like when people like to clean some people mm -hmm. like to clean or organize yeah. drawers or closets when they yeah get all of that yeah agitated. no and i have i have a friend where whenever she gets really overwhelmed kind of with life and she's stressed out about what happens the first what's what is going on in her life for whatever reason that is the first thing that she does is she goes through all of her closets all of her closets get organized her kids closets get organized um the kitchen gets organized she you know goes through things that she doesn't need anymore um and that can take her anywhere from a couple of weeks to a few months depending on whatever she's trying to deal with and the other things that are going on in her life but that's absolutely um and you know it doesn't have to be creative as much as it has to, for me anyway it has to be active mm. um so that i can just feel everything but feel like things are productive too well you know what all of those things have in common though is that there's a detail-oriented quality to mm -hmm. it. you're focusing on something else you know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's what I'm hearing when I hear these different types of things that, that people do. But then some people approach this um, in a much different way. And well, maybe it's not much different, but, you know, and I bring up things like uh, breast cancer awareness, mm -hmm. for example. You know, people have either gone through the breast cancer struggle or, or know people you know, have friends or family who've gone through that type of struggle, then they may volunteer or do walks and fundraisers and things like that, right? Yeah, because, and particularly if whatever the issue is, I, I think that is a really good way if whatever the issue is, is, is causing a, um, a, a feeling of helplessness in addition to whatever other feelings are going on that I think is a really good way because you're giving you're you're, you're doing something active that is giving back to the community um, in some way so that um, you're doing something that's that's helping to solve the problem the larger kind of societal problem of whatever is happening right but then a key part, you know, like even uh, a key part of this is really getting out of your own head. Yeah. Putting your energy somewhere else. Am I hearing you correctly? Yeah. I, for me, that's the biggest issue. Um, because I can get in, because I, I can get in my own head and I can get in my own way, but there are other people who, um, where it's it's almost the opposite where they just refuse to think about it or feel it at all um and push themselves into um into work or into activity into into other kind of busy type things without actually feeling it so um i think i think doing kind of the larger volunteer type stuff is important because it keeps you focused on what the issue is so that you can work through it. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I'm not gonna, um, I'm not gonna say anything bad about our workaholics. I tend to be one of those. That goes, <laughs> no, there's, I don't think there's anything, yeah. You know, uh, because there's, I think the main thing is really just making sure that you're not letting yourself um, kind of squash the feelings, you know, or suppress yeah. 
feelings, uh, that you kind of acknowledge that you have them so that you don't let them build up. And, you know, because this, you know, that's the big thing. You don't want to have a big explosion of emotion, right? Like, right. Well, oh, yeah. You, screaming in the street like a lunatic. Right. <laughs> You or don't want that. that matter. Right. No, you don't no. And I don't and I don't mean to say that it's that that people that work a lot are are automatically suppressing their emotions because I don't think that's the case. Because I work a ton too. But I think that there is a difference between knowing the feeling is there and continuing with your work and using work to ignore the feeling. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, but you want to make sure that you're dealing with it, even if you are doing your own work and you're, you know, you want to make sure that you are dealing with it so that you're right, so that you don't blow up later on and go, you know, running through the streets like a crazy person. Um, you don't want to snap one day um, and start, you know, and whatever, punch someone, start breaking plates, like, <laughs> whatever, you know, hitting, punching holes in the wall, whatever, you don't want to, you don't, you kind of don't want to be destructive about it, um, or you don't want it, or you don't want it to turn into an illness for you either, right, is that kind of, um, you know, stress and kind of difficult emotions that aren't dealt with, I think we've all kind of felt or seen where that can turn into some kind of like you get sick or you get ulcer, you know, and in extreme mm -hmm. cases with people that are stressed out, we all kind of know that being stressed out leads to ulcers, um, you know, or have it turn into some kind of ne negative thing that's going on in your body that you have to recover from. Or suppressing the anger or really kind of turning it inside and becoming depression. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause yeah, that, because that's another manifestation that can be another manifestation of unexpressed anger. Yeah. Yeah. Because it has, because there is, you know, this unex particularly with things that seem to be an injustice whether it's larger societal in nature or it's kind of smaller, like, hey, this isn't fair kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, I could see where that would definitely, because it ends up, you end up thinking, okay, well, there's nothing that I can do. Um, and so, and that can lead to, that can spiral and lead to, okay, I don't want to get out of bed. There's no point. Right. Right. And we've got to make sure that we stay focused and realize that there are things that we can do. Mm -hmm. And that's why I like the idea of volunteering or doing the walks for a cause or even something, it can be even simpler than that. It can be, you know, random acts of kindness. It can be, you know, like I, 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 a couple of years ago, I, I love, <laughs> made me so happy and it was, you know, it, it was so small, but I was in the library um, and I was looking through the stacks um, and I, and there was a piece of paper there and I went to pick it up so I could throw it away. And it was a note from someone that said, this is just meant to make your day. And there was a $1 bill taped to it. Oh, uh, <laughs> it was the cutest thing ever. And it totally made my day. And I don't even think I spent the dollar. Like I still have it somewhere because I was like, this, this is really, this is really cool. It could be something so small, yeah. um, but doing something that, you know, or, you know, pay for the, pay for the food for the person behind you in the drive-thru line or pay for the coffee of the person behind, you know, right. Whatever it is 
so that you are spreading some kind of hope um, so that you're creating the community. Well, I think that makes a, a huge difference in the way that we feel when we can put our energy forward in a way that helps others, you know? Yeah, because um, I think what, what, ends, what, what ends up happening when there's all of these, or at least for me, and I think for a lot of people, when there's a lot of kind of intense emotions going on, particularly if it's something that is a difficult situation that you're trying to work through, I think it can feel very isolating. Um, you know, it can be very, it can be very easy to forget that we are all part of a community, um, you know, and doing something simple, like leaving a dollar on the stacks in the, in the library or paying for the coffee of the person behind you, um, can help. It, it's a very real way that you can just connect to the community. Well, and of course, in addition to all of those things that we've already mentioned, if it's really difficult dealing with these emotions, then, you know, particularly things like grief, which can mm -hmm. be really, really challenging, talk to somebody. There, there are coaches out there that help work through mm -hmm. different types of emotions, like grief in particular. I, I've, I, we've met, you and I have both met a couple of grief counselors, I think, mm -hmm. grief coaches. Um, you know, and certainly reach out to, you know, family, friends, or if you don't feel like you can or want to, then a professional. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, your, your minister, pastor, spiritual advisor, therapist, um, you know, coaches or any kind of grief group, mm -hmm. um, you know, or even, you know, the the thing now there seems to be a lot more of the um uh, phone lines phone numbers oh, yeah mm -hmm. hotlines right? suicide hotlines or um you know grief hotlines or even therapy hotlines i was looking at a commercial the other day you can get therapy by text message now uh, <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> All right. way to catch up with the technology you know which i which 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 if if you've never been um which i think for people that have never been kind of severely depressed seems really seems a little out there but when i the times when i have been very very depressed the idea of talking to somebody is overwhelming but it's very easy to text and maybe that's just because I'm a writer to begin with um but it's much easier for me to 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 text than it is to actually talk got it well what are our main takeaways here um, make sure I, that we acknowledge the feelings right yes absolutely acknowledge the feelings um you know do something active to work through them, but acknowledge them and, and try and name as many of them as you can. Um, and do your best not to turn it inward. Um, don't let your mind spiral. Don't, don't start to think about how hopeless things are. Um, try and turn it instead, try and turn it outward and do something active um, 
And by active, I mean just something with your hands. I mean, it can be running or jogging or yoga or any of that stuff, hiking or all any of that stuff. But it can also be, um, you know, doing a walk for a cause, doing volunteering, journaling, um, cleaning, doing, you know, things with puzzles or building cars or, um, you know, if you're, if you're more creatively inclined than painting or music or any of that stuff that we all kind of know is helpful. But if we don't feel creative, we have a tendency to kind of shy away from those things. But all of those, anything active where you can focus on doing something that's detail oriented um, so that you can just feel your, just feel what you're feeling so that your subconscious can kind of work through it all. Well, there you go, guys. Make sure you acknowledge the feeling. Don't let those feelings build up into an explosion or turn inward that could turn into depression. Take an active approach whenever possible. That could be volunteerism, writing, journaling, making things with your hands, whether it's um, you know, making little paper doilies or, yeah. or uh, doing puzzles or, <laughs> or making toy cars, what have you. Yeah, making toy cars. Yeah, any of that stuff. And then finally, you know, if, if none of that is really helping, make sure you go ahead and get some help. Talk to friends, family, if they're available, or if not, you know, clergy or uh, professional. Get some help. We need to move through these things and keep everybody moving forward in their lives. Julia, thanks for being on True Talk. Thanks for having me. Well, that's our show this week, guys. You can reach out to me online at urbanbookeditor.com or michellebarard.com. You can also find me on Facebook and Instagram as Urban Book Editor. Send me a note. I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to send in some topics you'd like us to cover on the show. Make sure you tune into the show on November 22nd, 2019, when my guest will be author Stephen Howe. You can find us twice a month on Fridays at 5 p.m. Pacific, 6 p.m. Mountain, 7 p.m. Central, and 8 p.m. Eastern Time at the Somewhere in the Middle Podcast.com. Let's continue the conversation. You guys be good, stay mindful, and remain prayerful. Peace and blessings, y'all.